0: title to hit VOD, there are countless others that end up DOA. Development Hell is a podcast dedicated to unearthing these plagued horror productions to find out what went wrong and then decide if they still got a shot at the green light. I'm your host Josh Corngut. I'm a filmmaker in Toronto, Canada, and I make very spooky movies. Just ask my mom. This podcast is brought to you by the Anatomy of a Scream pod squad. So today we're taking an itsy-bitsy detour out of the world of horror to talk about something a little bit more lighthearted. Yes, that is Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. The classic never-made horror-ish movie, Beetlejuice 2. Beetlejuice 2 has been in production for, yeah, you guessed it, ages and ages and ages, and is still kind of in production today. We're going to focus pretty heavily on the original concept for Beetlejuice 2, Beetlejuice goes Hawaiian. But we're also going to give you some of the information of what's happening with the project now and where it could go in the future and, you know, ultimately, is it going to get made? We are going to talk about the importance of the first film, that legacy of Beetlejuice. You know you want to hear it because it's very bizarro and wackadoodle and delightful. We're going to talk about the modern updates on the sequel I'm talking about Winona Ryder saying all sorts of stuff to the media. That is not true. Winona, why are you giving us all of this hope and then just taking it away from us? It seems kind of rude. Obviously, we're going to talk about the original Peter Just Goes Hawaiian project, including a pretty detailed summary of the script, which I've gotten my hands on. I have become quite the sleuth. If you've been listening, um, you'll be so impressed that I'm able to just find all of these magical scripts that never got turned into movies from the weird 90s and 80s, because yes, Reddit. Yes, Google. We're also going to talk about the animated television series, which obviously you loved. The Broadway situation, which is messy but very interesting. We're going to end in some kind of dark, scary alley when we talk about Tim Burton's Lost Way. And we're going to discuss a little bit about the Jeffrey Jones issue of it all. Of course, we're going to end with, will it still happen? Okay, so let's start off with the legacy of Tim Burton's Beetlejuice, 1988, a year before I was born. Wowza, that's a long time ago now. We're we're edging towards the 35-year mark. So Tim Burton, um, everybody's favorite wacky uncle, uh, was finally making this follow-up to his debut feature, Pee-wee, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. There was a big success off of that little tiny film, and he immediately started working with Warner Brothers on Batman. But Warner wasn't exactly ready to greenlight a humongous project like Batman right away, and so they just kind of tossed him a measly $15 million to make something. He was a little bit disappointed at the time, though, with the unoriginal scripts that were coming across his desk as an emerging filmmaker in Hollywood. One of these scripts that he got was allegedly Hot to Trot, a John Candy comedy about a horse who moonlights as an investment banker. Candy voicing the horse, obviously. Fred Cheney's going through hard times. Get him out of here, Osborne. I don't care what it takes. But he's about to get some badly needed help. Fred? We've got to talk straight from the horse's mouth. Ah! I have questions about the amount of cocaine people were on when they wrote that script, but it's not about judgment. It's about Beetlejuice. The original script for Beetlejuice was written by Michael McDowell, who uh, wrote the Tim Burton-directed episode of Alfred Hitchcock Presents The Jar. I suggest going to YouTube. It is there. Okay, so originally Beetlejuice, it was actually meant to be a little bit more violent, or a lot more violent, including a way more graphic car crash with the Gina Davis character actually crushing her arm. Yuck! Okay, so Tim Burton originally wanted Sammy Davis Jr. to play the role of Beetlejuice, which I can see, but also, uh, there were a couple of alternative titles for this film. We had House Ghosts, Snore. We had Anonymous Haunted House Story, 29, four eighty, And also Scared Sheetless, which is bad. Beetlejuice was originally meant to be a murderer and sex offender. I'm pretty sure he ended up still being a bit of a sex offender. And ultimately, yes, also a murderer, but let's keep going. There's also a weird... Commentary on suicide and relationships and death. What is this? The Virgin Suicides? Is it? I'll watch that. So German Expressionism was a big, big, big inspo-spo for the film's style. The Cabinet of a Dr. Caligari being an immediate influence. And if someone said, Josh Osh, wait, give me a German Expressionist film, I would say, oh, the Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. So I'm not exactly um, impressed. Mr. Burton, just name me something I've never heard of before. Was Nostarafu German Expressionist? I think it was. Burton was inspired by old horror movies, but through a comedic lens. So we're going to talk a little bit later when we get to Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian about these bizarro dichotomies or parallels that Tim Burton likes to draw between two things that like really should not work together, i.e. like 1980s slapstick comedy and, you know, old horror movies. Dumbledore Dali inspired the clay desert scenes, and if you've seen the movie, you'll not be surprised by that, as they're very surreal. There are scary, scary monsters. Things are drip, droop, dropping all over the place. So God does a bit of a moral stance in this movie, and there's a push against modernism and trend. So we see the Dietz is destroying this house that's gorgeous and traditional and like very spooky I love it in the countryside and then we have Catherine O'Hara being iconic but coming in and being like no 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 take away the tradition take away the beauty we're gonna make a grotesque modern structure out of this bullshit and so in this movie we have yeah this constant battle between tradition and modern and also like weird versus um mainstream so again we're talking about the goth versus the mainstream the deets are quick to capitalize on their house being haunted we're gonna see this come up again in the sequel where they capitalize on the environment but this time around it's on the ghosts in their house uh, this leads to a pretty disturbing sequence later in the film with a seance that sends the nearly decayed Adam and Barbara characters, we're talking about Gina Davis and Alec Baldwin, into the realm of the what I consider to be the Hungry Ghosts. Okay, pause. So my dearly beloved grandmama, who has passed, RIP, I love you, I miss you, was a Buddhist, and because I've always been a spooky ooky boo, She would lure me to, like, hang out and talk about Buddhism with some of the more spooky aspects of the religion. And there was one aspect that, like, always got me, which was the concept of the hungry ghosts. And the hungry ghosts were people that in their lifetime were, like, greedy motherfuckers who were not very nice and were like, give me your money and I'm going to kill you. That kind of vibe. And then in the afterworld, they have tiny, tiny little pinprick mouths, which is scary. And tiny little necks, but, like, huge bellies that are insatiable. And they can never, like, they can never feed themselves enough. And they're always in, like, constant hunger agony, which is very fucking scary. Come on, religion. Why do you got to play like that? Anyways, in Beetlejuice, there's something a little bit like this, where... Ghosts can die, and you see this like bizarre, horrifying, like hell world of dead ghosts just sort of floating through the ether. And you're like, No, 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 we don't want that. Like, that is worse than death. That's death, death. Uh, would love to see a movie about that. Where's that sequel, everyone? Listen to me for once. So, talking a little bit more about the original Beetlejuice, Michael Keaton didn't really get Beetlejuice at first, but Tim Burton was avid and kept explaining and eventually was like, okay, fine, I'll fucking do it. The film actually went on to win an Oscar for Best Makeup, which for a genre or comedy is pretty fucking cool. Pauline Kael, everyone's favorite, not so nice, but incredible film critic, uh, referred to the film as a comedy classic, while someone named Jonathan Rosenbaum of the Chicago Reader never heard of her. Felt Beetlejuice carried originality and creativity that did not exist in other movies. Okay, so we can't be mad at her. Uh, not everybody loved it, but generally speaking, yes, we did, because it's a classic, and it's the best movie ever made, and I love Beetlejuice, and that's why I'm forcing you to listen to this project on Beetlejuice 2. Before we jump, jump, jump straight into talking about Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian, I kind of want to, like, go no, non-linear... Before we jump directly into Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian, I want to be, like, super non-linear on you and talk a little bit about the more modern sequel that has been in the works over the last 10 years. In 2013, well, long ago already, uh, Winona Ryder said, on I'm kind of sworn to secrecy, but it sounds like it might be happening. It's 27 years later, and all I have to say is I love Lydia Deets so much. She was such a huge part of me, and I would be interested in what she was doing 27 years later. Okay, was that a good impression? I feel like it was spot on. Yes, Winona, we all agree. Okay, so writer later confirmed that she would only consider doing the sequel if Burton and Keaton were involved. See, this is like already playing, quit playing games with my heart, please. Anyways, 2014, Burton hmm, said, hmm, It's a character that I love and miss working with Michael. There's only one Beetlejuice and we're working on a script and I think it's probably closer than ever and I'd love to work with him again. Okay, cute. In 2015, um, Grant Smith, who is a writer on this project that probably isn't going to happen, told Entertainment Weekly that the script was finished and Burden just needed to actually start filming by the end of the year. Didn't happen. 2020, nothing's happened. 2021, what's the tea? You want to hear all about... A Beetlejuice goes Hawaiian. I do too. But before we get there, we need to build this house out of brick. We need to support ourselves with the history of everything that is Beetlejuice. So let's talk about the cartoon from the early 90s. ABC Saturday Morning Lineup. This Beetlejuice adaptation, 1990, super self-aware, super incredible. Tim Burton was the EP. Danny Elfman allowed his original score to be used, and even composed new music for the project. The show ultimately won a Daytime Emmy, which is pretty fucking cool, airing on ABC. So this was like a big deal for a Saturday morning cartoon. There were only four seasons, but the fourth and final season was like 60 episodes long. What? Why? Can we like talk about that? No? There's also, maybe you know this, maybe you don't, a musical of Beetlejuice that was actually fairly recently shut down. And not just because of COVID, but because people did, like didn't pay to see it enough. So, the musical was commissioned by Warner Brothers in 2016 and was directed by Alex Timbers. Uh, Australian comedy musician Eddie Perfect wrote the music and the book was written by Scott Brown and Anthony King. Alex Brightman took the starring role and Sophia N. Caruso played Lydia. So this production actually opened up in D.C. in 2018 before making its big move to Broadway the following year. Unfortunately, it was canned even before COVID, and when COVID came along, it shut shuttered the doors even quicker. But, 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 hold on. This is not Carrie the Musical. This is not the biggest flop of all time. And there was some outcry because this musical had already become a cult favorite. It was nominated for literally every Tony imaginable, didn't win a single one of them, but it did happen to snap a Drama Desk Award for best set, which is kind of like, mm, it's gonna be staged again this year (laughs) in South Korea. So hopefully they've got their COVID situation figured out by the time this opens up because the world deserves Beetlejuice, the musical, I think. Haven't really listened to the music from it. Someone recently told me it was good. Sherwin, that's you, are you listening? All right, we're here, we're queer, and we're gonna steer the ship into Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian. Cue the tropical music. After the events of the first film, the conceit was that the Deets were going to move to a private island in Hawaii and they were going to open up uh, an exclusive resort. They were going to build a resort on this little island, Bing Bamboo. That's the general sort of logline. We'll get a little bit more into the summary later. So Jonathan Gems, which is a great name, Daniel Waters, Pamela Griffin, and even Kevin Smith were all in contendence to write the script. Is contendence a word? I feel like it sounds like one. It's definitely not. So Kevin Smith actually went on record in 2005 saying something along the lines of, didn't we say all we needed to say after the first Beetlejuice? Like, do we really need to go tropical? Yes, buddy, we need to go tropical. What is this pretentious bullshit? You are fired. Let's let someone else write it. Ultimately, Jonathan Gems would go on to write the project. The cast and the crew were all set to actually join the project from the first movie. Everyone seemed really, really fucking invested in that first film. I really think everyone that made it loved making it and thought they made something really special. Let's be honest, they did. This is not, you know, the average run-of-the-mill movie. This was something really unique and special and very imaginative. And I think all these big Hollywood names who maybe even became big names sort of before and after this production, sort of had a special place in their heart for this little movie. And I am talking about Michael Keaton. And I am talking about Winona Ryder. And I am talking about Tim Burton. Okay, so the cast were all in line to return under the one condition that Tim Burton would return to direct. Uh-oh. Mm. Spaghettio, because unfortunately... Batman Returns was a bigger priority for Warner Bros. First Batman that Tim Burton made, incredible, uh, was a big success. And he was contractually obliged to make the sequel, which ultimately is a bigger movie. And like, I think he probably wanted to make that more than Beetlejuice 2. And then because of that shuffle, it kind of just never got made after that. Beetlejuice was set to save the day by riding a surfboard. Now I know what you want. I know what you need. You're never going to get to see it. It's never going to get made. Okay, maybe it will, but like probably not. And if it does, this Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian bullshit is not coming your way. But don't cry. Calm down. If you need to pull the car over, you do that because safety comes first. I have good news. I read the script. Yes, yes. I went into the depths of Google. Second link after typing in Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian script. Found it. Read it. So now you don't need to see it. Now you can think, oh, Josh is gonna fucking give me a summary. I'll see it in my mind. It'll be beautiful. It's like going to the theaters in a time where none of us can go to theaters because it's a pandemic apocalypse. All right. So Beetlejuice Ghost Hawaiian summary of a script by Jonathan Gems. G E M S. God damn, that's a good name. Do you think that's his real name? I would be surprised. Beetlejuice goes Hawaiian. So, the script opens up with Beetlejuice, who's been working as a janitor in a supermarket in hell, post the events of the first film. He is dating a burn victim named Rita, and he's a really bad boyfriend, and it's really sad. He's, like, not nice to her, and kind of ignores her, and she's clearly in love with him. And you're like, you can do better than him, Rita. Like, you're a burn victim. Like, get another, like, sexy guy burn victim. But no, anyways... So he's a bad boyfriend, as he would be. This guy is clearly very abusive. Anywho's, so he's approached by five ghosts of, unquote, Hawaiian holy men, uh, one of whom clearly died of leprosy, which is Uki. So they want his help as a bioexorcist to get rid of some land developers that are building a resort on their island of Kanuka. So B. E. Juice declines the job because his license had been retracted after the events of the first film. Okay, so, you guessed it, these developers are none other than the Dietz family. Yeah, so the Dietz have always been interested in real estate, as goes the events of the first film. So, they're in Hawaii with this new development project on this little private island, and they want to make this spectacular new resort. Um, But unfortunately, this is screwing with the flora and fauna of the island, leading to locals protesting. Now, yeah, the locals are depicted kind of um, terribly and disappointingly as stoners and typical surfer-type characters. Um, And I'm pretty sure the diversity element of the script is either lacking or confusing or offensive so I'm not going to get too deep into that stuff but like just kind of imagine it that this uh, environmentalism is a big issue and theme here which I think is kind of obvious but is cute and kind of makes sense Lydia is left with very little to do except for pine for a local surfer hunk uh, who scoffs at her father's capitalistic aggressions And she kind of like teams up with him. She's like, yeah, daddy, I hate you. And we're not going to support you building this thing here. And like the environment's important. But secretly, I just like this dude because he's buff and cute. The holy men decide to put this curse on the island, which stops all the waves from crashing. And therefore, tourism is halted because nobody can surf. And like if nobody can surf, then they're going to clear from the turf, if you know what I'm saying. Okay, you're freaking out, you're like, that's the worst-case scenario, Um, the tension is just too much to bear, do not worry, because for some reason, Lydia has this, like, new singing ability, she is, like, in touch with her singing self, and learns that she can, like, sing these ancient magical water hymns to bring back the waves, um... Sounds like cultural appropriation to me, but I couldn't tell you what culture. Maybe it is pulling from a real culture. I need to revisit Moana. So Alassa Island is tormented by the ghosts of these five holy men. And Lydia thinks that her best bet mm -mm, is to summon the ghost with the most to save the day from these tropical spooks. So with the help of, like, a local shaman type, Lydia travels back into hell to meet Beetlejuice to make sure that he will sign a clause stating that he won't try to, like, sexually harass her, which is weird, but honestly necessary, because he was weird with her in the first movie, and he continues to be weird with her in this movie, if I'm going to be honest with you. So she returns to hell, and he's like, okay, I've missed you, I love you. But I can't help you because I don't have my my exorcism license. It's been redacted after you, you know, you spoiled me in the first movie. So they go on this like cute little adventure through hell and eventually get to some kind of bureaucratic building and they convince someone to give him like a reindacted license. But it, the gist is it's only for three days. So, Beetlejuice can only go back to Earth for three days to get shit fixed. So, hopefully, that's enough. Um, during all this, Lydia goes on a date with a head with feet. So, that's weird. But, ultimately, they come back to Earth. So, once on the island, Beetlejuice disguises himself as a celeb photographer. And all the hip stoners on surface think he's super cool, which, obviously, he is. Now, he's abusive. He's gross. But He's cool. like weirdly hot sorry um so while this is all kind of happening and beetlejuice is figuring out how to save the island lydia is still falling in love with a local named chemo um beetlejuice not obsessed with this because he's still pining for teenager lydia gross decides it is a good idea to turn a cactus into a hot chick so that hot chick cactus literally named cactus kind of funny uh, makes Kimo fall in love with her leaving Lydia for himself. Seems a little roundabout. Just kill chemo if you're like a fucking demon. But you know what? I don't tell you how to do your job. You don't tell me how to podcast unless you have some good pointers, which I need. And of course, what does the script do next? It tries to capitalize on the Deo magic, that song used in the first film, the Harry Belafonte moment. And this time they do it with an uninspired live performance of the Harlem Shuffle. Beetlejuice then slips Lydia a love potion, a.k.a. date rape drugs, uh, before saving the hotel by winning over the holy men in a supernatural surfing contest, which he wins, obviously, in a breeze. So in exchange for winning them the island... Beetlejuice actually gets to have a green card marriage arranged with the now in love with him Lydia because that's his only way of staying on Earth. He found a loophole. If he marries a human, he can stay. I forgot to mention that earlier. Kind of important note. But Lydia's like, I'm in love with you. You gave me that weird potion. So like, no big deal. No big deal. Let's get married again. And just like the climax of the first film, they're about to have this hell wedding. That spooky dress hopefully is back. That red wedding dress. Every goth girl's dream. And mine. But right before the shit goes down, Beetlejuice's mom shows up. What? Frees Lydia from the spell. Good. And all hell breaks loose from there. Beetlejuice gets very upset. Tries to kill everyone again. Kind of like in the first movie. And there's this like whole... Tropical island, King Kong, volcano chase moment. That's actually kind of cool and, like, ridiculous. Oh, and I did it. Okay, so I haven't mentioned, but that Otho is still around. Like, being all fat and wacky. Gotta love it. And ultimately, he's the one that saves the day by saying, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Sending our beloved Grosso back to hell. Back in hell for our tag... Beetlejuice accidentally doses himself with his own love potion and falls in love with the girlfriend, aka burn victim Rita, who still pines for him, so it's kind of like a happy ending for everyone, especially Rita, I guess, except she's now in a committed relationship with Beetlejuice. Gross. Actually, not gross. I'm jealous. And it ends with Beetlejuice singing the Harlem Shuffle again in a nightclub in hell. Yeah, when I was reading the script, I was like, what is this bizarre not-goodness But now that I'm reading it back, I'm thinking, I want to see it. Before we get to the big kahuna, a.k.a. Will this movie get made? I think I want to take one moment just to talk about Tim Burton in recent years. So I don't know how long it was ago, because I don't do homework, but Tim Burton has gone on record saying some pretty crappy things about diverse casting in his films, and has gone on quote saying something very close to the lines of, you know, um, black exploitation movies don't necessarily cast a number of white people, so why should my movies cast people of color? I don't think any smart person in the world needs to explain why diversity is important and why... That is bullshit. But obviously our girl has gotten, I don't know, uh, detached from reality. Or maybe their true selves is coming out a little bit more than it should. And we're all very disappointed. Um, I like to take solace in knowing that, you know, none of us have liked a big... Oh, sorry. None of us have liked Tim Burton since Big Fish. And so hopefully at that time he was less horrifying. And we can just enjoy him from... You know, 1987 to 2003. And anything after that, erased, gone, goodbye. Um, it's also worth noting that Jeffrey Jones, who plays the father in Beetlejuice and was probably likely to return for the same role in Beetlejuice 2, his name was Jeffrey Jones, and he had been arrested for child pornography charges. And um, you can't really talk about the Beetlejuice story without at least mentioning this frighteningness. We don't support any of his work, I guess, from this point on. So, will Beetlejuice 2 ever get made? Uh, yeah. I think it will. Um, it's clear that the Beetlejuice franchise is not kaput. We have this Warner Brothers-produced musical that is still making the rounds all around the world, even in a pandemic. Uh, and we still have the main cast and crew occasionally popping up, like... Saying that it's gonna happen. So I think it's probably just about timing and getting a good script. But ultimately, if Tim Burton makes it, you know it's not gonna be good. It's gonna be covered in CGI and the story's not gonna make sense and it's just gonna be a bunch of pale people kind of s- stroking each other's egos. That peculiar children movie, it was ba bad. All the movies that he's made since 2003 were bad. Fight me. Okay, well, thank you for listening. And if you could do us a big favor of liking and subscribing to the Anatomy of a Screen pod squad anywhere that you listen to podcasts, leave a review, uh, leave a little five-star rating, and like us anywhere that we're on social. We are at Pod at Pod. We are there. Just type us in. Engage with us. We are um, – we're bored. It's COVID you know we want to we want to say hi all right so we'll see you in another episode of development hell